Well, today I'm going to continue out of Galatians, obviously. I want to get back today to start with into Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. Last week I talked a lot about Galatians 4.19. And I'm going to talk some more about this today, only from a different kind of an angle. There Paul says to the Galatians, and this is the cry of his heart. This is his solution to the Galatian problem, and really it's the solution for every problem among Christians. He says, My little children, of whom I travail in birth, until Christ be formed in you. So Paul says this isn't Galatians about religion. This isn't about works of the law. This is about your need to have Christ formed in you. And I mentioned last week how to have Christ formed in you, really, is that you would have an inner knowledge of him, an inner consciousness of him. And of course, then, the result of that, if Christ is being formed in you, is that you will be a witness unto Christ, unto others. Because Christ is going to be formed in you, others will see him in you. Now, along this same line of Christ being formed in you, I want to read a couple of other scriptures for today, leading into the message. One of them is found at the end of Galatians, Galatians 6, verse 15. Now, notice the dogmatic way in which Paul makes this statement. He says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision avails anything, nor uncircumcision, but what does avail something? A new creature, or a new creation. Pretty dogmatic statement, and I don't know that in our day and age we could possibly wrap our mind around the ramifications of saying in Paul's day that circumcision doesn't mean anything. Because we have to remember that the circumcision, the law of circumcision, was the sign of the Old Covenant for the Jew. If you weren't circumcised, you could not be one of God's people. Period. End of discussion. And Paul had been a Jew. And Paul was writing to a Gentile church, and he is saying, I am telling you that circumcision means nothing. That's an incredible statement. It means the Old Testament is done away with in Christ. It means it avails, it works, it can get you nowhere. But notice something else Paul says here. He says, that's right, circumcision means nothing, but I've got news for you Gentiles who weren't circumcised. I've got news for you, uncircumcision doesn't mean anything either. You know, lots of Christians today, rather than be defined by what they believe, have become those who are defined by what they're against. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be against plenty. Paul the Apostle certainly is, but that's not supposed to be what defines us. We're supposed to be proactively preaching the message of Jesus Christ, and then as heresies come to attack that, we point those out. And we're against those. But there's this mentality that Christians can get into, and you see it a lot today, 
to where all you do is go around and say what's wrong with everything. And Paul here, among other things, is saying circumcision doesn't avail anything, but don't think because you're uncircumcised that that makes you special either. What makes you special actually is nothing except Jesus. And then he's the one that's special. He says, neither circumcision avails anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. If you're not born again, a new creation, not only will you not get far with God, you can't even get out of the starting gate. You must, as Jesus said, be born again. Now I want to turn to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, along this line of being a new creation in Christ. This is one of these watershed passages of Scripture that's often used to express in a nutshell the gospel of Jesus Christ, and rightly so. Ephesians 2.8. But I want us to notice a little fragment from this passage that often is not discussed, but really is pertinent to the subject at hand today about Christ in us being formed. Paul says in Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you are saved through faith. Great expression or description of the gospel or how to be saved. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. In other words, salvation. It's not of works, lest any man should boast or take credit for salvation by his works. And then Paul says this as an elaboration. He says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I want us to fix our minds today on that little phrase, created in Christ Jesus. That's the title for today. Similar to being formed in Christ or having Christ formed in us. Created in Christ Jesus. Aside from the very obvious context here in Ephesians 2 where Paul uses this phrase, I think it's really edifying to take this little fragment created in Christ Jesus and really think about what's being said here. Created in Christ Jesus, that's what Paul says God is doing with Christians. He's forming Christ in us. He's creating us in Christ Jesus. Now, there's two things, just reading that little phrase, that immediately are inescapable. Created in Christ Jesus. Number one, can we see that something, or someone if I can put it that way, is being created because of Christ? That's more than obvious. If Paul says we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, can we see that because of our relationship, because of our salvation in Christ, something is emerging from that, something is being created. Now we just read, in a nutshell, in Galatians, what is being created in Christ Jesus. What's being created in Christ Jesus is a new creature in Christ. You and I. 2 Corinthians 5 says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. 
So the first thing we see is that if any man is in Christ, what emerges from that salvation is a new creature. Now, this is one of those terms, a new creation in Christ, the new birth, the new man, is another thing that Paul uses to describe this new creation. These are terms that you and I have heard so often as Christians and read so often in the Bible, I really think that at some point we kind of get anesthetized to them. We, We get real numb as to really what it's talking about. And there are so many misconceptions as to what this really is, what a new creation in Christ really is. For example, how many of us have heard or simply assumed that what this is talking about is the fact that God is giving us, quote, a fresh start? We kind of think that because we accept Christ, God takes a big eraser and he sort of erases all of our sins. And I'm certainly not saying there's not some truth to that, legally speaking, God does take an eraser. He does wipe away our sin. He does take away our sin. But see, if all that we think that is is a, quote, fresh start or a new start, what you end up with, essentially, is the same old person born in Adam, and now you get to start all over again? Well, I got news. If that's the case, we're going to come to the same place all over again. Because Adam is born dead. You and I are born dead in Adam. And if all God did was take away all the black marks on Adam's chart and give Adam, our Adam, us, a fresh start, we have nothing to work with. We're just going to start accumulating black marks again. God has not come to give Adam, he has not come to give us in Adam a fresh start. He has come to put Adam to death. God has taken that old creation in Adam and crucified the entirety of it in Christ. That is why, unless you and I come to the cross of Jesus Christ and take our place in it, there is no salvation. There is no new birth. It's not a fresh start. It's the complete end of the old. And then God is making something new. So in other words, instead of a fresh start, what we're getting is a new life. It is not simply new in the sense of a retread job of the old. It is new in the sense that it is a completely different kind of life. Remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3? You know, he was talking to him about you must be born again to enter into the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus did not understand that because he was thinking in physical terms. He says to Jesus, well, how in the world can I crawl back into my mother's womb and be born all over again? So he knew Jesus was talking about a new birth. And Jesus said to him, now, wait a minute, you got, you got the birth part right, Nicodemus. You do have to be born again. But I'm not talking about a physical new birth, Jesus was saying to him. I'm talking about something that is spiritual in nature, that cuts to the heart and core of what man is, spiritually. He is saying 
that you must be born again spiritually. And then to emphasize his point so that there would be no misunderstanding, what Jesus said was, that which is born of flesh is flesh. And that which is born of spirit is spirit. Now, how many of us in this room, by natural birth, were birthed of the flesh? 100% of us. If you're sitting here, that's how you got here. You were born of the flesh through natural human procreation. And you emerged from the womb, and you were born of the flesh. And Jesus said, if you were born of the flesh, and you were, you are flesh. And that's all you are. Man who is born of the flesh, and the Bible calls that birth, a birth into Adam. Man is born as a flesh creature. And that's all he can be. He can't make himself anything else. That's all he's got to work with. That which is born of flesh in Adam is flesh. But then Jesus says, that which is born of spirit is spirit. That's why you got to be born again. The flesh can't birth spirit. There is nothing about a flesh and blood human being born into this world naturally that can gender or bring to birth anything of the new creation. There's nothing there to work with. Adam lost it all. And so the only solution is to bring all of that old creation to the cross of Jesus Christ, be planted into the crucifixion. As Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. And the power of it, the essence of it, dies in Christ. And what, you, what then happens is you're raised anew in Christ as a new creature. Not as the old creature, simply given a legal classification of being forgiven. How often Christians have been taught that, and it is wrong. God is not looking at you and I as old creatures in Adam, forgiven. We have to come to the cross and die. And we are raised new creatures in Christ. If all God did to you and I was say, I forgive you. And Lord knows we all need forgiveness. If that's all he did, would it make you a new creation in Christ? No, you would be that old creation with an eraser, having erased your sins. But you wouldn't have anything of new life in you. You have to be made a new creation in Christ. Yes, forgiven, but more than that, raised anew. You're not going to get any place unless you're first forgiven and justified by faith, but God doesn't say you're legally forgiven, that's it. He says, I am going to impute, yes, to you the righteousness of my son, justification by faith. But he says, I am also going to impart to you my son himself, on the inside of you. And the truth of the matter is, unless Christ is in us, we have no life. He's the only life we have. And so you must be born again, a new creation in Christ Jesus that God is creating is a different kind of creature. 
then it is possible for the flesh, for natural birth to produce. And when I say a different kind of creature, that might sound spooky and weird. It's not. It's God's kind of man. That's why in the New Testament, Paul says, you are a new man in Christ. And he's saying a different kind of man. It is not a man that has been born of flesh. It has been born of spirit. And I've said so many times, and it's so important to keep it in mind. The very source of your life that gives you new birth and makes you a new creation is from where? From above. Jesus said, you have to be born again from above. He said, you are from below. This four you're saved. He said, you are from below, but I am from above. He said, you have to be born again from above. And if you are, you become a new creation that is not, not any longer a product of the Adam race. You're a new creation that is the product of Jesus Christ in us. Now, when you begin to think of that and you begin to understand that, it really changes everything about what Christianity is, doesn't it? It's no longer a religion then, is it? It's no longer something where you just walk around practicing a religion, do's and don'ts, going to church and all that. All of a sudden, you recognize that you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ by virtue of the fact that you are one with him in your spirit. And that is what really Paul was trying to get across to the Galatian church. He's saying here, you have lost the meaning of what Christianity is. You think it's religion about Christ. I'm here to tell you, Paul would say, you have been created anew in Christ Jesus. And you're going to obey God. You're going to do things, but that's the core. Now, let's talk a little bit more about what it means to be a new creature, a little bit more about this core. I've mentioned this before, I think, in these series of messages, but what is the seat or core of our salvation in Jesus Christ? Well, 1 Corinthians 6.17 says, He that is joined to the Lord... And the word joined means cemented to in the New Testament Greek. He that is cemented to the Lord is one spirit with him. Now what that tells me is that when you and I are saved, what it tells me is that Romans 6 really means what it says when it says there that you have been planted into Christ into his death and resurrection. We really are, in other words, absolutely cemented and made one with the Lord in our spirit. So in other words, the core of salvation is that Jesus Christ, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, comes to dwell in our spirit. That's where it starts. Now, that's not all there is to it. God wants the soul, the body, and the like 
to progressively be brought under the government of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus Christ doesn't come in, if you haven't noticed, and he doesn't come in and take over your body, does he? Your body is pretty much out of control, especially to begin with. He doesn't come in and make your emotions work right, just automatically by virtue of the fact that you've been saved. In fact, initially, he doesn't necessarily change all of your thinking. Now, some of it ought to be changed because you have to have some understanding, but isn't a great part of the Christian life a matter of having your mind renewed and having your thinking changed and coming into a knowledge of God? When you get saved, God doesn't go presto changeo with all of that being changed. But what is changed is that your spirit is saved, born anew. You are one with Christ in spirit. Now, if you think about that, it tells you why you are alive. It tells you why you have eternal life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Paul in Colossians says, Christ, our life. So, make a math problem out of it. If Christ is the life, and you become one with life, guess what happens to you? Well, you come alive. So in other words, it isn't so much that God gives us a thing called life. It isn't so much that God says, oh, you accepted Christ, bingo, I'll make you alive. What he does, what God does, is he gives us Jesus. He gives us Christ in us. And because Christ is life, we're alive. Now, this is the second part, really the other thing I want us to see about Ephesians here. We read here in Ephesians, we are created, talked about the fact we're a new creature, because we're one with Christ, But the second part of that phrase is we are created in Christ Jesus. So in other words, everything that emerges of the new birth and of the new creation is because we're in Christ. We have life because we're in Christ. We have everything that God has for us because we are in Jesus Christ. So we are created in Christ Jesus. And what I'm trying to say is this. Again, I mentioned this a little last week. Don't think of Christianity or salvation or the new birth as something that God does to you. Don't think of it as something that God goes zap, you're saved. No. Everything that you are is the result of being one with Christ. We are created in Christ. We have to become one with him. That's where it starts, and everything else that we are as a new creation emerges from that. Now, this gives us a bit of a a definition, really, of what is created, and I've really already said this in essence. What is created? Paul says we are created in Christ Jesus. What is created? 
Well, think about it. When you become one with Jesus Christ at the event of your salvation, you have him and you have you, and there is a oneness in spirit that happens. You can't see that, but that's salvation. That's what it means to be in Christ, that spiritually you become one with him. Well, what emerges from that is a new creation in Christ, a new man. What emerges from that is you born again. Now, we could use the example here of reproduction, I suppose. I don't want to take the analogy too far, but when a man and a woman get together, they have a new baby. It's a new birth. And so spiritually speaking, we can say the same thing here. When Christ becomes one with us in a spiritual union, a new creation emerges. God takes the old that we are, he sets us free from all that old nature. And in Christ, we are birthed anew. Now, this gets back to a scripture that I mentioned last week. It's in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. It's that little phrase that Paul uses there, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Remember that one? Now, if you just take that little phrase, we have this treasure, meaning Jesus Christ, in earthen vessels. Can we see very clearly there that we are not the treasure and he is not the earthen vessel? any more than the treasure is the earthen vessel, or the earthen vessel is a treasure, if there actually was one sitting here. There are two things there. There are two people there, if I can put it that way. There's the treasure, and the, there's the earthen vessel. But nevertheless, can we see that there is a oneness being described? It's a spiritual oneness. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So in other words, to get back to our Ephesians 2 scripture and, and tie it into this one in 2 Corinthians 4, God puts the treasure named Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit in an earthen vessel who is us. His spirit becomes one with our spirit, and what emerges, yes, is a treasure in an earthen vessel, a new creation in Jesus Christ. Now, can we see why God calls it a new creation? Because before Christ, before Christ made all of this possible by his death and resurrection, can we see that there was no such creature that ever lived? God never became one with man like this before. The new birth wasn't something that happened in the Old Testament. God himself says that. He says, the days are coming when I'm going to make a new covenant. Not like the Old Covenant. And then he says what the New Covenant is. I'm going to put my law inside of them. In other words, I'm going to put Christ inside of them. And so the Old Covenant was the Holy Spirit with people. And there were some tremendous things that happened. Jesus told his disciples, the Holy Spirit was with you, but he's going to be in you. When the Holy Spirit is with people, lots of fantastic things can happen. And people can obey him and experience him in many levels. But it's not a new birth. 
until the Spirit actually indwells people. Now, God always made man to be an earthen vessel in which the treasure was to dwell. That was the purpose for which he created man. If we turn to Genesis 3, I'm not going to read this account of the fall of man and so forth. I just want to point out two scriptures in Genesis 2 and 3 here. The first one is Genesis 2.25. This is the Bible's description of the man and wife before the sin. Keep that in mind. This is a description of Adam and Eve before the sin. Genesis 2.25, it says, And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. That, remember, man and wife before the sin, God said, was very good. This is a description of how God originally created man. What does that mean, though? We need to understand that. What does it mean to be naked and not ashamed? Because whatever it means, it's very good in the eyes of God. It really is a description of God's original design. Well, if you think about it physically speaking, to be naked means you got nothing. If you're naked, you have no assets or resources whatsoever. There's just sort of you there, isn't there? And if you think of this in more than physical terms, which I think is intended here, to be naked physically, yes, but how about to be naked spiritually? And in every other way as a creature. That means you have no life in you. You have no truth in you. You have nothing in you that makes you capable of living independent of God. You're naked. You're barren without God. But you'll notice the second half, again, before the sin, the man and his wife were naked but not ashamed. Why were Adam and Eve completely void of all resource in themselves and yet not ashamed? It's because they were filled with God. He was their resource. So in other words, what we have are two people that have nothing at all in themselves and yet they are barely conscious of it because they are being filled with the fullness of God. Can we see there a couple of earthen vessels that are filled with a treasure? Now, as earthen vessels, in and of themselves, they're empty, they're naked. But they're not ashamed. In other words, there's no consciousness of need. Ever notice that even people who are unsaved, who don't recognize the utter desolation and barrenness that they really are, have you ever noticed that if they're able to fill their life up with anything, it doesn't have to be God, if an unbeliever is able to do that, they can be deluded into thinking that they are satisfied and they won't be ashamed of a nakedness, will they? Because something is filling the earthen vessel that they are. Now, it's corruption in that case if it's not God. But the point I'm illustrating is that the only way that you can be naked and unashamed is if something is covering you, filling you, bringing your life to its fullness. And that was Adam and Eve before the fall. 
Well, Adam sinned. He rejected God, and he walked away. So after he did that, then what you had was an earthen vessel, but he wasn't filled up anymore, was he? With God. Now, we have a description of that too. Genesis 3, verse 7 In the eyes of them, this is after the sin were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Now they're conscious of it. In fact, they were so conscious of it, they were tormented by it. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And then in verse 10, Adam says, I heard your voice, God, in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Now, note the contrast between Adam before his sin and Adam after his sin. Adam before his sin is naked, but barely conscious of it because he was filled with God. Adam after his sin, he's still naked. But now he's absolutely tormented by it to the point where he is taking it upon himself to try to cover it up and fix it. What's the missing dimension here in Adam? God or to continue with the analogy of the earthen vessel, before the sin, Adam is an earthen vessel filled with a treasure. After the sin, Adam is an earthen vessel empty. Adam got exactly what he wanted, didn't he? He said, I don't want God, I want me. God said, here's what you want. Now you got it, you got you. And he lost God. Now, Adam's reaction to all of that, well, he got more than he bargained for. He immediately tried to fix it. He tried to cover himself up with fig leaves, and people have been doing it ever since. God says to us that because we are born of the flesh in Adam, we are naked and we are ashamed. Whether we like it or not, we're born that way. He says, I want you to take all that to the cross, and I'm going to make a new creation filled with the fullness of God. But if we don't believe and turn to God, we're going to spend our lives trying to cover the true self that we are with fig leaves. We're going to try to hide from God our true condition. In fact, you don't even need to work at doing this. You're going to do it. It's your nature to do it. Little kids do it. Everybody hides. We don't admit we're wrong, even to ourselves. That's a fig leaf. We try to fix ourselves through legalism. That's a fig leaf. Anything to keep from standing in front of God and saying, God, I'm empty. God, I'm barren. God, I'm naked. Cover me with Jesus. That's where God seeks to bring people back to. That's what it means when the Bible says, God has brought light. He's shining the light on us. And of course, people tend to interpret that as a terrible, morbid, ugly, awful experience. What it is, is deliverance. Have we ever recognized that it doesn't matter how many fig leaves we paste on our naked selves, that God has x-ray vision? He isn't faked out by any of it. Your, your worst sin, God already knows about it. And I think that he would say to us, you think you're bad? You only see about 2% of it. Because that's really all that 
our old nature can be, corrupt. And he would say to us, I've already addressed that in Christ. Come to the cross. I want to make you not a cleaned up Adam. I don't want to make your fig leaves work or pretty. I want to make you a new creation. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians 15, in Adam all die, but in Christ all are made alive. You're talking about two entirely different creations. We need to die to one and be birthed anew into the other. And so we are earthen vessels. Now, God wants to get back into 2 Corinthians 4 from Genesis. He wants to bring us back to the place where we see that we're an empty earthen vessel, where we see that there's no truth, no life in us. And then once we confess that and relinquish ourselves to him, He'll make us a brand new creature in Jesus Christ that is filled with the full. Now, not understanding this, not understanding that Adam must die in order for us to be birthed anew in Christ forms the basis of many false gospels today. I want to read something that I got off the internet the other day. This is taken from the website of one of the superstars of TBN. I'm not even going to mention who it is. doesn't matter at this point. But I think that what he wrote here really comprises the core of so much that is false today. It's all about Jesus making you pretty. It's all about God's goal being to bring out the best in you. It's all about the glorification of man. Here's what he says the goal of ministry is his ministry, of course. He says, to unblock every obstacle inside of you, to unlock every door within to your greater greater potential, to activate every gift and skill, both natural and spiritual, to empower your life so that you can be who you are, to do what God has called you to do and to have what you are promised. And finally, to transform your total life experience and cause you to flourish and live the abundant life you are intended to live. To get you from where you are to where you have always wanted to be. Now, i got to tell you something. If this was read in 90% of churches today, that would get a standing ovation. They would say, I don't see anything wrong with that. In fact, I think that's great. And you know why? Because that appeals to our flesh. And if we don't understand what God is doing, wanting to create us in Christ Jesus, we're going to think, well, sure, God wants to make us better people. God wants to make us feel good about ourselves. Now, this is just one version of that kind of false gospel. There are many others. We have the gospel of self-esteem. We have the new things that are emerging today where people are being taught to discover that their true self within themselves. And sometimes God and Jesus are pasted on this. It's made to be what God wants you to do. And we have all these kinds of things that 
Christian ministries now are offering. And people easily buy into it because they have not been taught that, as Paul said, there is no good in their flesh. 2 Corinthians 13.5 tells us what we are without the treasure in us. It tells us what an earthen vessel is unless Christ fills us. He says there to examine yourself, to see if you're in the faith, prove yourself. He says, don't you know that of your own self, how that unless Jesus Christ is in you, you are a reprobate? A reprobate in the Greek means an absolutely useless commodity. And if we go back to Genesis again, and we would read that description, as I did a few minutes ago, what we would discover is that God Almighty never made man to be anything but a reprobate without him. That God never made man to be anything except an empty earthen vessel if he wasn't in Christ. God never made man with the capacity to live independent from him. That's why when Adam declared independence from God, what he got was independence from God. And what is independence from God? It's separation from God, which is death. Mentioned earlier that if you become one with life, Christ, you're going to be alive, aren't you? What happens if you're severed from life? You're going to die. And so man does not have the capacity. The creature that God created of Adam does not have the capacity to be alive without God. That's why when Adam ate the fruit, he died. didn't die physically, but he died. Because the seat of life, the seat of salvation, is not physical. It is spiritual. And so what God is saying is, I want to make a brand new creation. He is saying that when we become one with Christ, there is birthed through that union with Christ a new man. He is saying we can't be that new man without Christ. And Christ can't be our new man without us, really. He can be a new man without us of his own, but... He can't live through us without us. So the new creation is really the result of a oneness between my spirit and Jesus. What emerges is a brand new man, a different kind of man, born again from above. Now, Ephesians, as we read, said God is creating us, these new creations, in Christ The second part of that which is so important and that we need to see is that everything that God has for us is bound up in his son. If you have Christ, potentially you have it all. If you don't have Christ, factually you have nothing. It's in him, period. And, of course, that gets back to Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except by him, there being life in none other, and so forth. But I think for Christians, again, we continue to think that God is here to go zappo and change us, 
to be like Jesus. It's not that. It's to make us one with Jesus so that he can shine through. And of course we're going to get altered in the process, but it's all about him. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 1. This says it so clearly. Talking about God choosing those that he has given salvation. He says God has chosen in verse 27 the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised has God chosen. He's talking about us. Things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no flesh should glory in his presence. Now notice the description here of who or what Jesus Christ is to us. He says, but of God are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that accordingly as it is written, he that glories, let him glory in the Lord. So you and I have thought that God gives us a thing called wisdom, that God gives us a thing called righteousness or a classification called righteousness, and we've thought that's it. And you and I have thought that God gives us a thing called sanctification or does a thing called redemption. Paul says, no, what he does is give us Christ. And in Christ, in our oneness with him, are all these things. Now that's important to know because it brings us back to the centrality of Christianity, that Christianity really is Christ in us, the hope of glory. In Colossians, Paul says, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Not some, all. So in other words, as we grow to know Christ, as we grow to experience him, all of these things, if we want to use that term, come into our experience. Almost every error in the Christian church, going back 2,000 years, is a violation of this one principle, which is why it is, Paul was so adamant about it in Colossians. He says, in him, by him, through him. It's all about Christ. Every error in the Christian church at some point or other, is an attempt to get the things of God through some other means. For instance, in the uh, epistle of the Colossians here, he says in verse 3, chapter 2, in whom, just quoted this, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, speaking of Christ. And Paul says, and this I'm saying to you, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. So in other words, here are some of these Christian teachers that would come along, and I just read there what I got off the internet, that would say to you, become a Christian, and everything you ever wanted to be will happen. Become a Christian, and God will release your greatness. The Bible says, without Christ you are reprobate. You don't have any greatness to release. That's the lie that you do 
And God says, that's good, because I never made you to have any to release. And if you come to terms with that, you'll be filled with my greatness. We are so filled with this flesh creature that we are an Adam, that we do not at times even have a frame of reference for what God is talking about. All we know is what we know, right? All we know is what we know. What Paul's talking about is something outside of what we know through natural birth. And he is saying when you are born anew, you have deposited in you the one who said, I am the truth. He said, I want you to come to know him. And you're going to know things you couldn't know through natural birth. And then you're going to begin to know God, his ways, and what he's doing. And he says, focus on knowing Christ. Because in him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge hidden. And he says, I'm telling you this, lest any man beguile you. And tell you that what God wants you to have is a good self-esteem or whatever some of these people say. You get into business with Jesus Christ, you won't have any problems with self-esteem. You won't have a good one, you won't have a bad one, you'll be too caught up with him. But see, again, that's a condition that's outside of the normal human understanding. Well, what do we think a new creation in Christ Jesus is? If it's not something out of this world, something that's outside of what human beings can produce religiously. So he says, in him are hidden. And in Colossians 2, so many other warnings. There's four warnings there about what happens if you get off of Jesus as the center of all things. Notice how Jesus in John, in the Gospel of John, nine times he says, I am. He doesn't say you are or I am. He says, I am. That is who he is to us. And we're to experience that. Now one thing that this ought to do, and I'm going to close with this thought and probably finish this up next week. When we understand that the seed of our salvation is our spirit in oneness with the indwelling of Christ through the Holy Spirit. When we understand that that is what the new creature in Christ is. That is what the new man is. Then we can begin to describe what the new creation in Christ isn't. And maybe you're a little ahead of me on this. If the new creation in Christ is our spirit united with Christ, then the new creation in Christ isn't all this flesh stuff that we're always trying to make behave. Your emotions, for instance... And we all have trouble with them. They're not born again. They're not. You had them before you came to Christ. So they're not a product of the new birth. Now they are to be brought under the control of the Holy Spirit, like I said before. There is a healing. And in effect, the Holy Spirit should have on those in bringing us under the Lordship of Jesus. No question. But your emotions aren't born again. Your soul, 
And I don't mean the soul way that some Catholics and things talk about. They get that mixed up with the spirit. Your soul, your psychic part of you, he isn't born again. And yet, what as Christians do most of us look at to determine whether we're right with God and to determine whether we're doing okay with God? We don't look at our relationship with Christ in spirit, do we? We look at our soul and we look at our emotions and we gauge our spiritual temperature by that which God has already said isn't even born again to begin with. Now, don't want to leave a dangling thought so much with that, but I guess I'll have to because it's too big of a subject. One for next week. But once we understand that there's a big separation here in each one of us of soul and spirit, where there is a new man in Jesus Christ that is the result of your union in spirit with Christ, but there is also all this stuff from the flesh that you carry along with you, and we tend to focus on that. Can we now start to get a little bit of a glimpse of what Paul was talking about in Romans 7? And what he's talking about when he says, put on the new man, put off the old. And what he's talking about when he says, your identity is secure in Christ. Because your identity isn't that flesh thing that you think is your identity. Your identity is the new creation. What we're talking about here, again, is a brand new creature born from above as opposed to that which is born from below. I want to read one last scripture, and then we'll close with this one. Romans 8, chapter 2, or rather, verse 2. <coughs> it's an absolute fact. Some people deny this, but I don't think they understand the truth if they do. I think it's that bad. You and I have two natures in us. You have the very nature of God, but you have that old nature. Now, the power of it has been broken, but not the presence or possibility. If anybody in here doesn't think you still have a sin nature to contend with, I want to talk to you after the service because I want to know how you got to that place. But again, the real seat of salvation, the real core of a new creature in Christ, is your spirit in union with Christ. The rest of it isn't the new creature. And Paul begins to talk about that in Romans 8. And it's why he says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. He's talking about the new creation that we are in Christ. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And he says in verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus is essentially the nature of who you are as a new creation in Christ. Because of him, because you're in him. That is what has set you free from the law of sin and death. Your new birth, your union with him. And so when we read an epistle like the Galatians, where people are running around keeping little do's and don'ts, and thinking that that is what is making them what God wants can we see how Paul could stand there and say to them, my God, 
I absolutely travail until Christ be formed in you. Because true Christianity in the essence of what God's after is so much bigger than religion about Christ. And that is what God travails over and grieves over. He wants each and every one of us to come into the fullness and the realization of this.